Hello, and welcome to The Manifesto with Gideon the Frequent Flyer on the Myelonomics Podcast Network. I am Gideon the Frequent Flyer, and for today's very special episode, I interviewed Kelly Deshawn, the executive director of the Galveston Parks Board, which includes the Galveston Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, Beach Patrol, Beach Parks, and Coastal Zone Management. This requires a little backstory. In June 2015, I wrote a blog post reflecting on a recent trip to Galveston. Galveston has been back in the news lately with the nationwide Juneteenth celebrations and unusually active here hurricane season. So I decided to reach out to the Galveston Island Convention Visitors Bureau to arrange an interview to see how the island has changed and adapted over the years since my visit. Kelly was extremely generous with her time, and I did decide not to subject her to a core question of the week. So that will be returning in next episode. I was actually just um, looking you up because uh, I found your team through the Galveston Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, but I gather that your role is actually uh, sits above that one level and, and you have a bunch of responsibilities besides tourism. Well, it's all come back to tourism. Galveston is such a mature tourism destination and has been in the tourism business for so long uh, that it's structured a little differently down here. And the Tourism Bureau has responsibility not only for promotions, which is standard in a lot of communities, but we also manage 32 miles of beaches, which... Uh, tourism tax dollars pay for. Um, and then we manage uh, five large parks um, that are part of the city of Galveston park system. So we manage a co- on behalf of Galveston that there's a couple of parks that the city owns that are more oriented towards visitors and they generate uh, the news um, and they help to upkeep those parks. And so we run those parks as well. We run the lifeguarding down here and, and, the parks, and then we build the beaches. I don't know if you ever pay attention, probably not because you're up in D.C., um, but regionally we've built the largest beach nourishment projects the state of Texas has seen, so we've been involved in putting sand back on these beaches, and all of that happened through tourism activity and through tourism dollars, and so it's it's been a great place to work because lots of places in the world in tourism right now are trying to look at that balance between community and uh, residents, or community and visitors. And in Galveston, this organization, the Park Board, has been set up in a way that allows us both to promote tourism, but also to use the revenues um, that are generated uh, by that to maintain some of the the community's most uh, important public assets, our beaches (laughs) and our parks. And is that in anti-erosion measure or... um does it have to do with the um, dredging of the of the channel? Uh, so the island uh, geography is that 
a barrier island, and one of the characteristics of a barrier island is that they turn over on themselves. The sand that's on the front of the island blows across the island to the back, and the, the island literally moves. At Galveston, when they built the Galveston seawall, became solidified, and that became the front line, and that's what's been defended. That is literally a seawall, and maybe you've been in other communities where you've seen that. The ocean comes up to a wall, and that's what uh, takes the brunt of the dynamic of the ocean of the storm surge. Um, so as a way both to protect against storm surge, but also to create recreational area there, beaches that wouldn't have been there before the city forefathers began beach nourishment efforts before I ever got here. Um, and so the park board has a role in um, using the hotel dollars, tax dollars that are generated in the early projects to guarantee bonds. And those bonds put sand down there. The sand has two purposes. One is to protect the law defense, which is the soil, right? If you can give it more more defense than just one law, that's better, redundant lines of defense. And if the ocean can, dynamic, can hit the beach before it hits the concrete wall, then that's better <laughs> in a storm oh. situation. The second piece of that is that it creates big recreational opportunities. And so the folks in the city are interested in beach nourishment because it creates recreational opportunities, and it's by far the single biggest tourism driver. And they've done studies since they put in the first beaches in 1984 that show the correlation between investments in the city beaches and return on tourism dollars, which was in those early investments, one to four. We get about a one to eight or a one to ten return now, depending on how we do it. And that how we do it is what you referred to with the chip channel. It what I brought to the table and the value add that I've been able to do in the time I've been here was the relationship with the Army Corps of Engineers. They dredged that material under federal budgets and had been putting that material out in open ocean. So we negotiate, I negotiated a deal with the Army Corps of Engineers, which is a deal they do on other geographies, where the federal government pays to dredge the material, but I pay the differential or the part will pay the differential between what it would cost to dump it in ocean, open ocean and what it costs to dump it on the shoreline. So that has been in the last, we've done it twice, and every time we've done it, it costs about 7 to $9 million for a project that should cost 37 to $39 million. Wow. Buy low, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is tremendous. And the reason we can do it is because they have to dredge the ship channel because of the Panama Canal in order to, to keep the – not the Panama Canal. In order to compete, they have to keep the draft on that, excuse me, at a certain lift. So they, they dredge that channel every 12 to eight, uh, 24 to 18 months. So that material, we've done it twice, and we've got the next two lined up. So about every – a year and a half, we're able to put that material on the beach, um, and that's been huge. We've we've built beach where we didn't have it ten years ago, and that's been good because this storm surge season, this season, uh, while we have been so fortunate in not having been in the direct trajectory of any of these big storms, uh, Laura and mo what most recently affected us was Beta. <laughs> 
I've been living in the between the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico for 30 years. <laughs> One of the first times I've seen him go through the whole alphabet and get him now onto the second line of uh, names. It's been really traumatic, and we're only we're in September, um, and so uh, it's been good that we had all that material on the coastline because even though we didn't have any direct storms, we've had direct damage <clears throat> from high tides, um, and that is actually right now a major conversation in our community is um, how do we address the damage on the beach? How do we defend that line of um, beach where we don't have a seawall, where it's still barrier island unprotected? And what does that look like? Fun, fun, fun down here on Galveston Island. It certainly sounds like it. Um, Before we get any further, I always like to let people put their plugs in uh, at the top of the show. And so do you want to tell people where they can find out more about you more about Galveston tourism, um, any um, social media accounts you want to plug or Facebook groups or websites or anything? Well, um, we operate through the visitgalveston.com website for information on where to stay, shop, and dine, um, plus information about meetings on Galveston Island. You can be found on galveston.com. We have a series of uh, social media accounts. We've got some real Galveston Island uh, loyalists and fanatics and if you look for Galveston tourism out there on Facebook um, or in any of the social medias you'll find us there and we hope that you'll find us in the social media and then come find us down here on the island fantastic Um, so um, I wanted to get started talking about the background of Galveston because It seems with all the research that I was doing about the island that it's changed tremendously over the years from uh, maybe originally a agricultural community to developing the oil and gas industry and then um, NASA's uh, huge expansion there and then the cruise terminals and convention business that is now a big deal. Um, so is there, is there a story uh, about that that, you, that you'd like to tell? Like, do you have any, any uh, sort of historical perspective on that transformation over the years? Well, it's, it's been a great community to work in because it's got such a place in history, not only Texas history, but U.S. history. Uh, Galveston has always been, first and foremost, a port community. It faces the ocean on one side, and and the mainland U.S., Texas on the uh, other. Um, and so that's been real fl- influential in the kind of community we are, the diversity of our community, and the diversity of its history um, as well. Uh, and as we were speaking just uh, briefly ago about uh, the the ocean itself and the climatic conditions and it's both privileged and vulnerable position sitting on the on the face of um, the Gulf of Mexico has shaped it unto itself. Uh, be that from the early explorers uh, found the Karanka Indians um, here on the island, which were purported to be cannibals, um, then to the development uh, through the early pirates. And Jean Lafitte is has said to have had a home here on the island. That interface with the Gulf of Mexico and the wider world through navigation, especially in early history of, of Texas and the United States, uh, was really important to the development of Galveston. Um, at one point, uh, the 
second highest volume immigration station in the United States was placed here in Galveston um, Island. A lot of commerce was coming already through Galveston. Um, a lot of settlement was coming through Galveston. This would have been um, in the late 1800s before uh, roads had been developed for trade and commerce. All of that was coming through this port community of Galveston and because of that Galveston had a lot of the first in the state of Texas. Uh, the first library, which is a really amazing um, facility, the first electric street lamp, the first trolley, um, and then even as history developed and um, new cultural norms came to came to light and, 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 and came into history, the first black uh, high school in Texas is, is here, the first black Baptist church is, is here, and so Galveston was a place of a lot of firsts, and that was because of its position um, on the Gulf of Mexico and as a port community where a lot was coming um, through. Uh, after World War One and before World War Two. Um, Ellis Island was receiving a lot of immigrants from Europe, and because of that concentration, there was a decision made to uh, establish the Pelican Island uh, Immigration Station, which is by the park board, the organization I run, uh, that is now a park area, but it had been the quarantine station and um, processed the second highest number of volume immigrants into the United States um, after Ellis Island. And that flow of immigrants uh, from Europe uh, and into central United States was uh, fundamental not only in, in our country's history, but in Texas. And if you know anything about Texas history, uh, my family, for example, is from the Texas Hill Country, which is in the middle of the of the state, and it is uh, was uh, founded and it was uh, run by many years by Germans. And up until my grandmother's uh, uh, age, as a matter of fact, German was still the predominant language in schools. A lot of that German influence came through the Galveston port. Same with Italians. We have a very robust Italian community here, something that went on to play an instrumental role in Galveston's history even later on. Um, we have a strong Greek community here and lots of different religions um, here as well. Uh, because of an event that happened later, the 1900 storm, uh, which again uh, came from the Gulf of Mexico, uh, today is still the single largest natural disaster in U.S. history in regards to the number of people that died, 1,000. Um, it was a hurricane that was a hurricane before we called them hurricanes. They were storms before we gave them names, and it's simply known as the 1900 storm. Um, but when that came through uh, and killed all these uh, local residents and folks, uh, those that were buried uh, were buried in cemeteries here on the island, of which there are a bountiful number because of all of these different ethnic and religious groups that were coming through the port, and some of them which chose to stay here in Galveston. Um, it, for years, had a reputation as being the playground of the South. It, Galveston's always been a recreational area. Uh, big, wide, sandy beaches, great fishing. Um, 
down here amazing birds um, and bird populations and so it's always it's always had this privilege with this commerce that came through it um, because of its uh, privileged place and its role in settling um, Texas and settling the uh, Midwestern United States uh, because of the, the produce and the commerce that was coming back down. Cotton was king in Texas during this time, for example. All of that product was coming back and Galveston became known at that time as the uh, Little uh, little New York um, down here on the third coast. It was prominent. It was prosperous. It was important in commerce. Um, and then the 1900 storm hit, uh, which reshuffled that whole deck. Uh, 6,000 people died. The vulnerability of the island became very evident. The money and the resources that were here went into building the seawall, which is to date still the largest, longest, contiguous uh, sidewalk in the United States, 10 miles of protection. It's 13 uh, feet high, and the city founding fathers literally raised every house, church, public building on the island by about 13 feet. And if they couldn't raise it, they filled it in as, as a, a basement and they lifted the whole island in elevation to be able to protect it from future storms. Um, and that's what that tenacity, that innovation, that perseverance really defines Galveston and Galvestonians. Um, I'm not a native-born Galvestonian. There is, uh, of course, such a thing. And here it's marked as being a BOI, born on the island. And being a BOI is like having a badge. And the generations that you go back is the bars on your badge. And there's literally families here that go back eight, seven, six generations of Galvestonians born on um, this island. Um, I will add to that by saying that they're very uh, hospitable and generous. And they have another badge for those of us who were not born on the island, which is IBCers, Islanders by choice. Uh, but often when you're at a cocktail party, that's how you'll define yourself. Um, uh, once that storm happened and commerce moved, it moved up into Houston. Houston today is a, the port of note um, for the United States, a very important port, and all that commerce uh, around Houston developed because of that port. Galveston was kind of left floundering. Um, it rolled into that period, into the Depression and into Prohibition, and Galveston became, through that tenacity and perseverance and spirit, uh, an innovation of uh, actually kind of a bootlegging com community. It was where you were known to be able to get your rum and your girls uh, uh, and your gambling in, and lots of stories, colorful stories, about how the Texas Rangers had to come in um, and bust up gambling uh, circles and prostitution rings and bootlegging rings. But eventually all that became, became legal um, again, and Galveston already had one foot out into this recreation um, entertainment uh, identity that it has, and for the last several decades has been a very well-known uh, recreational uh, destination here on the upper Texas coast for uh, Texas and, and what we call the touch states, Louisiana, Oklahoma, um, uh, uh, Alabama, uh, and is growing in um, importance and significance. One of the things that has brought it uh, to the limelight in tourism recently has been the cruise business. Uh, this is uh, before COVID, the fourth largest or fourth busiest volume port, cruise port in the United States, and it's the first one outside of Florida. The first three are the first three ports in Florida. This is 
the the busiest port outside of Florida, and it services that whole Midwestern corridor um, again, and has really helped to put Galveston's name farther out than the regional tourism that we've been known for for decades. That's fascinating. So um, to look at Galveston tourism today um, in the the different um, sort of buckets you can think of, um, you have some people coming in for cruises, you have some people just driving in from Houston for the day, right? Um, and then you have some uh, people who are coming in from out of town to visit Galveston itself. What, what is the typical breakdown there? Is it is it 30, 30, 30, or where, where do you see the most traffic coming from outside of Galveston? Well, you know, it also depends on the time of year. So our busiest season is definitely our summer season. What drives the most visitation is the beaches, um, both for day tripper visitation and for overnight um, stays. We sit next to Houston, and you might know that Houston is now on its way to be the third largest uh, metropolitan area in the, United, in the United States. So a lot of the visitation that we see down here um, is uh, folks that are coming from Houston. Maybe they own homes on the West End. We have a beautiful part of the island. Galveston is a long, skinny island, 32 miles wide, or long, excuse me, 32 miles long and at its widest point it's maybe five miles long and at its shortest point you can see from one side to the other side um, and so we have this uh, amazing collection of second homes out on what we call the west end um, they're all up on uh, stilts and out on these white sand beaches and lots of people and especially now in the last six months have determined that they can um, come and stay down for extended periods of time down there um, so yeah, uh, with kids going remote in school, with a lot of businesses, especially in Houston, uh, being advised to work remotely, that we've always had a very robust uh, vacation rental market. Some allege that Galveston is the home of the original vacation market. Um, and so those homes down there have done great business um, since the lockdown has come. Uh, big open spaces, big open houses, um, and lots of space to roam. So they're doing really well. Um, that is also that part of the island where you can go down and in Texas, you can drive your car on the beach, believe it or not. So we have a bunch of places down on the west end of the island um, where when you drive on the island, you just look for a beach access and the sign say it every half a mile access and in several of those you'll be able to pull up onto the beach and do what we love to do in texas which is to tailgate you turn your truck around you pop the, the bumper down and you pull your cooler back and you sit on the back with the ocean right in front of you <laughs> let your dog run around below your feet and, and have a beer thank you for yeah, thank you for bringing that up because uh, I actually uh, didn't didn't send this in the questions to you. Um, but uh, when I visited Galveston, the Texas uh, Alcohol Control Board had a very friendly website explaining all the places that you could uh, you could drink in public in Texas. And I take it Galveston so is one of them. Certain parts of the beach you can drink in public, and in certain parts of town you can drink in public at certain times. So on the beach, down at this place, these places that I was mentioning where you can tailgate, indeed, that is one of the places that alcohol, as long as it's not in glass, can you can drink uh, on the beach. Not a problem. 
Um, we get a lot of uh, Houston market into Galveston, too, for special events. Um, we had been managing or home to the second largest motorcycle rally in the United States after Sturgis, which is the Lone Star rally happens here in November and the whole island vibrates uh, with the bikes that come down and the vendors and the music that happens and so in those that festival footprint which is the historic downtown area um, you can also have open consumption uh, as you can during Mardi Gras we also host <laughs> the second um, largest Mardi Gras festival in the United States, um, have been doing for 20-some years down here, have parades that go through historic downtown, balcony parties, um, which are fabulous, and then just general debauchery in the streets for the street parties, and beer is sold on the street, and you can consume openly at that time as well. So, yeah, Texans, we like our beer. <laughs> so, depending on the time of the year and the place, there are places that you can consume openly in Texas uh, legally, yes. Legally, yes. Um, yeah, so there's so much to unpack there. Um, you did mention about the vacation rentals, um, and I know that a lot of uh, traditional holiday communities have fought against um companies like VRBO or Airbnb and had to fight with them over getting the um, visitor taxes and hospitality taxes and things like that. Um, and since you, you mentioned that those those visitors um, are a big part of your budget, have you had any conflicts with Airbnb or VRBO or have they been welcome to Galveston? It's an evolving conversation. Uh, one of the challenges of managing a very successful tourism destination within the confines of your community is making sure that you've got balance. And all of these lovely attributes and characteristics that I attribute to Galveston are natural and organic because of the community that is here. <laughs> real characters here in Galveston um, and real expressive of that in architecture and art and food. And these are the things that you want to make sure that you keep a balance of. Galveston early on in the vacation rental market, uh, because of the history that we had here already, uh, set some good guidelines several years ago. One was that they required everybody to uh, register so you cannot operate a short-term rental without registering that unit with us. Um, another is is that you have to have uh, locally uh, somebody who will respond locally t at, 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 you know, at all times of day or night. And one of the reasons that was is for because of our proximity to Houston and our placement at the beach, you know, there were a lot of parties, party houses that got rented. And so uh, one of the requirements was is that if somebody calls and complains, the police have to be able to find somebody locally who will re will will respond to the to the police. Um, and so that's been very helpful in who is renting. Um, and then um, the city has started uh, together with us. We have a compliance program. Um, and uh, neighbors will police neighbors. Um, uh, so we have good compliance with um, people paying and people reporting units to make sure that they are registered. And then some neighborhoods here in Galveston through their deed restrictions have been able um, to disallow the um, properties here in certain neighborhoods. So 
that has gone relatively well, and I think really what underscores all of that, Gideon, is that to, that Galveston has been the playground of the South and a tourism destination for decades already. And so in one respect or another, part of its identity has already come to terms with being a tourism destination, and so at least it's not grappling or struggling with some of those issues on a very fundamental level that I know other places are. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then one final thing I wanted to touch on just in general was um, you mentioned that uh, the summer season is your high season, but um, as a resident and as a tourism advocate, um, can you tell us a little bit about whether the area has a high season, a low season, a shoulder season? Um, is there a time when it might be cheaper to visit, but the weather is still uh, likely to be good? And is it worth trying to plan around uh, the hurricanes? You mentioned you've been very lucky, but there have been a couple close calls this year with Galveston getting uh, being in line of the hurricanes. Um, so it, it, what, what recommendations do you have around timing? a visit? Well, Galveston's primary assets, as I mentioned, are the beach, and then we have some wonderful family attractions, the Pleasure Pier, Moody Gardens, uh, and its uh, scientific and educational pyramids. Uh, lots of things to do outside, and so that does by far drive our summer period. Summer season is quite competitive. It's um, you're thinking about coming down to Galveston for the coast or to the coast for the summer, I definitely recommend making your reservations and your um, uh, bookings early. Great variety of uh, product down here. There's some very exclusive properties uh, that really provide for um, a, a intimate or romantic getaway or a um, secluded options. And then on the other end, um, some high-density vacation rentals where you can come down with uh, 15 of your best friends. Um, and enjoy the place together. Um, outside of that, it, Galveston is still an amazing community because of all of these attributes that I talked about in its early history. So uh, Galveston's really an amazing place outside of the beach um, for some of these reasons that I talked about earlier in regards to its history. The architecture, downtown Galveston is really phenomenal. Um, all of these old historic buildings that have been refurbished, lots of art galleries, amazing restaurants. I've never lived in a community that has such a diversity of local chefs and uh, local restaurateurs. Really amazing uh, food down here. And then um, some general attractions and uh, movie houses and um, things to do. Uh, there's the Haunted Mayfield uh, Mansion that you can go through. It's a Haunted Mayfield Mansion. There's this movie attraction on Pier 21 that talks about the history of Galveston. There's the Galveston Historic Foundation, and they have a tall ship and Bishop's Palace. The amount of work that's been done around preservation and the community and Texas identity in that is really phenomenal and we're seen outside of the beach any day, not as an attraction added on, but as its own. Uh, about five years ago, a gentleman out of Houston came down and opened the Bryant Museum, which is today largest collection of Southwestern memorabilia. And I go through that museum and every time I find something new that I, I just love. There's a, a saddle collection in there. There's a spur collection in there. There's a gun collection in there. Santa added a sword from when he gave up 
um, at the Battle of San Jacinto is there, uh, just really incredible pieces. And so that set of attractions and amenities makes Galveston a really nice place to come to. Uh, September, October, November, the weather is still very fabulous. Like I mentioned earlier in our conversation, it's about 75 now. Uh, the beaches are open. The major crowds with the kids uh, have left, and it really pr- uh, creates a, a privileged environment down here. Um, I myself am a fisherwoman. I love to fish, uh, and the deep sea fishing and the uh, pier fishing and the shore fishing here are phenomenal. We've got flounder fishing and red fishing and trout, and boy, they are just hopping. Uh, lots of fun um, to go out on the water here as well. And for the shore fishing, is that a catch and release, or um, is there any guidance on which which kind of fish you can eat? Texas, we take our hunting and fishing very seriously. Um, no, it's, it's more by size and by season. Um, so as a redfish season, and as long as your redfish is, I think it's under 24 inches, you can take it, anything over that, but don't quote me on that one. Um, you have to throw back. Um, but no, we, we're you can take everything home, and there's deep sea fishing here with marlin and with um, tuna. Beautiful. And is there uh, is there some place people can get a fishing license, or do you need a fishing license to fish off the shore there? Definitely, yes. On Galveston Island, you um, go to Academy, which is the Texas version of the sporting store. It's on the seawall, and you can buy a fishing license um, there. Sometimes the captains of the of the charters will be able to facilitate them as well. Um, and there is a charter fishing association here where all these young uh, gentlemen, young men and women are uh, branching out and they offer tours. I often go out on a half-day tour with my girlfriends. It's great fun. I bet they let you drink out there too. <laughs> no comment. Um, so I did want to turn to, uh, current events. Um, so, uh, I haven't really followed the Texas, um, lockdown situation at all. How early was Galveston, um, shut down and how hard was it affected by the virus early on back in March or April? It's been, and you know, working on the coast every summer brings something, literally. I mean, you just, you never know. It's, it, I've lived in the Caribbean for 20 years and worked in tourism before ever getting to the Gulf of Mexico and down there it's the same. It just, it's a whole new dynamic working on the coast. Um, we, Texas closed down in the middle of spring break. We were going to have a two week spring break, uh, season. Halfway through that, we got word that Texas was closing down, and one of the ways um, to ensure that folks weren't moving was they closed the beaches and the state parks and the recreational areas. Um, For maybe 45 days, and then uh, we got word, because we managed the beaches, maybe 48 hours before the governor announced it, and the beaches opened back up May 1st. Wow, and where, was that a, a big weekend June for 1st, Galveston? June 1st, I'm sorry, June 1st. We opened up June 1st. It was huge, 
you know, the pent-up demand, we were, like I mentioned already, we sit outside of Houston. We're 45 minutes outside of the third largest metropolitan area in the United States. People were going a little stir-crazy, and so that initial demand, the first weekend we opened back up, was tremendous. Um, we had done a lot to pair. Uh, we knew that people were going to want to be outside. That Even early on, that was evident that that's what the uh, experts were recommending, uh, be outside social distance. Uh, so we spent a lot of time in preparing those areas that were going to be areas of uh, con convergence, the bathrooms, the stairways, the, the pavilions where people would have to come up um, and worked with the public there. Um, just probably like it was across the United States, you know, uh, put out our signage, equipped our, our, our people, our personnel with protective um, gear, and then just waited to see how everybody was going to um, react. Uh, it, well, we did have to close down again on the 4th of July, and that was a city decision. And, you know, we're a community, and this will probably put it into perspective, we're a community of 50,000 people that receive 7 million visitors a year. Tourism is important for us, but at some point this summer, it also became very concerning for a lot of the residents. Um, so I also, we discussed a little bit earlier about the hurricanes, but um, as you mentioned, there have been a really unusually large number um, this year compared to previous years. Um, and so I just wanted to ask like whether the any of the close calls had done any serious damage to any of the buildings or infrastructure or whether um, you guys just wrote it out uh, wrote it out pretty safely oh no we're they're pros down here on Galveston <laughs> It, it becomes an operational burden is what it is. The system down here is very sophisticated. Uh, the emergency preparedness and response system down here on the coast is very sophisticated between the state, the county, and the local officials. Um, as everyone was already in communications because of response, uh, uh, for COVID and managing testing and communications, this was this summer was one more thing that got kind of thrown in there. Uh, when something like that happens, what usually will happen on the coastline is we uh, decamp, right, as if you were camping on the beach. So all the trash cans, lifeguard towers, the ticket booths, everything that we have to put out there in order in the summer to manage the crowds, all has to come back in. Um, then we wait for the storm to subside and then take it all back out. <clears throat> we had to do that twice this summer already. Um, on top of closing the beaches twice for COVID, the city closed them 4th of July, and then the city closed them again for um, Memorial Day, really just in response to uh, consumer, con I mean, I'm sorry, really in response to resident concerns about unchecked crowds um, coming onto the island at the time uh, that the pandemic seemed to not be under control as of yet. Um, and so this this season has been particularly hard for that reason. The mobilization and demobilization of all of our summer um, seasonal equipment for the crowds that we have to manage. Uh, overall, however, Galveston's done great. We're only 16% behind uh, where we were this time last year. Uh, one of the, we are, I think, as surprised as anyone else uh, saw in the Houston Chronicle two weeks ago, an article that came out about the highest REVPAR uh, 
in the sta- in the state and the San Luis Hotel, which is here on Galveston, was the um, re- was uh, recognized for having the highest rev par in the state. So the businesses d- have done well. That has come from a couple of different things. I think uh, one is is that everybody's desire to get out into wide open spaces, and even as crowded as the city seems, sometime and all all the parking along the seawall can be taken. The beaches themselves are not packed. You still have got plenty of space between you family that set up um, and so that's that's driven a lot of visitation and I think even folks that were familiar or maybe had discarded Galveston before are coming to Galveston because maybe where they would have gotten on a plane to go down to Cancun because from Texas that's really cheap and easy they're not getting on planes right they're not going international and so now it's about road trips and domestic so we're getting introduced because of that wide open space to a lot of people who maybe didn't know us before or reintroduced, and that's going well. The other is all of this uh, shared accommodations or vacation rental that's become available over the last eight years. We've always had a lot of big beach houses, but now you've got the opportunity in town to rent small cottages and such. Uh, and so there's a lot more supply, and in these current situations, there's been a great demand for that. Um, and so the collections, the tax collections off the <laughs> short-term rentals have increased. Uh, just really nice uh, to see. And then um, just a lot of um, uh, uh, economy, limited service, visitation as well. And I attribute actually a lot of that to uh, the brands that we've got down here and people using their uh, miles of rewards um, this summer in a, in, a, in a destination where they can get out and about. Um, we'll see how that holds through the holiday season. Right now, we should be going into our major event season. Um, and just last week, the city lifted any limitations on outdoor events. So I think that you'll um, hear us all organizing around some of these traditional fall things that we've done. I mentioned the Lone Star Motorcycle Rally, um, which has already been canceled for this year, but will be back next year, second largest motorcycle rally in the United States. Uh, February sees Mardi Gras celebrations uh, for two weeks, um, which are a lot of fun with parades and balcony parties and uh, general debauchery in the street. Uh, November usually sees Dickens, uh, a Victorian festival that happens in historic downtown with jugglers and cyclers and performances and um, a lot of steampunk costumes. It's a lot of fun uh, to watch. And then we've got, you know, what a lot of other communities have as well, art walks and um, Christmas holiday lightings and shopping affairs. Right. And um, so you mentioned that outdoor events are back on, um, keeping in mind that this is going to come out in, in a week or so. Do you have any guidance on the current indoor capacity restrictions, indoor dining restrictions? Um, I know every every state, sometimes every city is handling it differently. Uh, what's the current status there? In Texas, the governor um, uh, lifted uh, restaurant occupancy to 75 as long as it meets the social distancing guidelines. So restaurants have ticked up. Um, and fortunately, we've got this beautiful weather here, too. So lots of people taking advantage of the outside area. Inside meetings and conventions are limited to 50% uh, occupancy of the uh, facility. And outdoor meetings, or not, excuse me, outdoor gatherings just last week, any restrictions on those was just lift, uh, lifted. Um, 
still don't have open in Texas is bars. So if they're not serving food and they're just serving liquor, they're still closed. But as long as they're serving uh, food as well, then you can get a drink. Ah, interesting. Um, and I wanted to ask one more thing about current events that uh, occurred to me actually after I sent you the list of questions, because I remembered that um, Juneteenth had a kind of breakout year uh, this year with the movement for Black Lives. And I think that's probably where a lot of people heard about Galveston for the first time is that Juneteenth was celebrated there. Um, so I just wondered whether you had any um, additional interest or additional visitors or whether, whether you guys had um, done anything to uh, raise the profile of Juneteenth after more and more people became aware of it this year. It, you know, we've been having this conversation, fortunately, for several years down here, and we have uh, not one, but two local committees that organize Juneteenth um, activities. Uh, we try to lift those and celebrate those as well, um, like we do with a lot of other heritage, uh, important heritage events um, as well. Uh, one of the things that the, the conversations at a national level have brought forward for us as a community is that idea of how diverse we are. Uh, in that we are a port community, in that there's a lot of uh, religious and ethnic uh, groups here that came through immigration and, and stayed, and that as a community, uh, that is intrinsic. I'll give you an example. Here on the island, we have one high school, very democratic in the sense that everybody goes. <laughs> so where if you uh, grew up and went to school in um, Houston in a suburb, probably a lot of your schoolmates look like you do. Here in Galveston, there's a lot of diversity of that. Why that was important to us as a tourism bureau was two reasons. Uh, one is, is that we wanted to use this opportunity not just for Juneteenth, but for several very significant pieces of black history here. Uh, I mentioned the first black Baptist church, the first black high school. Uh, well, Jack Johnson was a famous boxer, is from um, Galveston. Several prominent uh, politicians in Texas history were from um, Galveston. And one of the things that's great about tourism is the opportunity to find these stories, curate these stories, put places to them, put artifacts to them, um, and then lift them up and shine them, make them part of our identity, make them part of who we are in Galveston, and share that forward. Um, and so that was something that we had already kind of put our hands on and wanted um, to cultivate, um, not only because of the opportunity with Juneteenth, but because these are stories that reflect our local history and identity, um, as well as Texas history. And we believe that um, it's important for us to preserve that, but that also other people will be interested in that as well. Houston, for example, has Emancipation Trail. And so, you know, if like in other parts of the country, we can really turn around and embrace this part of our history, it, it'll be good um, to solidify our own identity, but also to share that out um, with others and, and have people come and, and celebrate that with us. Great. Um, so I want to be sensitive to your time. So I thought maybe we could just run through a couple of questions um, really quickly um, for some of the subjects okay. that, that I sent you. Um, so how do most people get to Galveston, um, either from Houston flying into the airport or from um, elsewhere in Texas or elsewhere in the country? And how do you recommend getting to Galveston? I know that a lot of the shuttles used to be um, built around the cruise schedule. Um, and I gather that most of those aren't running right now because the cruises aren't running. So how, how do people get to Galveston? How should people get to Galveston? What do you recommend? 
I think, you know, the easiest thing if I was going to visit Galveston from outside um, is to rent a car and, and drive on in. We're 45 minutes from uh, Hobby Airport and an uh, hour and 15 minutes from the one on the north side of Houston, which is continental. Uh, Texas highways are big wide, um, well-maintained, and once you get down into Galveston, then that offers you a bounty of opportunities of uh, things that you can see and do. Um, as you mentioned, lots of uh, folks, have, when they're coming in for the cruise ships, there's shuttles that are available. There is Galveston limousine, and so if you do not want to uh, rent a car and be responsible for uh, driving, there are services that can pick you up from the airport and bring you down. And then once on island, we've got uh, a trolley that goes around. Around uh, town, there's Lyft, Uber, and traditional taxi services here as well. Not to mention as well, um, what do you call those things? The Segways. <laughs> Horse-drawn carriages, Segways, and uh, Surreys. And if you don't know what a Surrey is, it's one of those four-seater bicycles with an umbrella on top of it. So all different types of modes once you get here. That's fascinating. I, I visited Galveston in 2015 and um, remember that you could take an Uber or a Lyft to Galveston, but they weren't allowed to pick up within the city limits. Has that changed? Uh, it has. That was around some safety um, concerns, and so those have been addressed. Uh, yeah, it was the issue of uh, fingerprinting um, any of the drivers. So, yeah, no, that's now available. The crews created part of that demand, and so it's been good. Great. So you can take an Uber from the airport to Galveston and back without uh, without renting a car now? Yes. That's fantastic. Um, and so in terms of staying in Galveston, um, I know you have to promote uh, every hotel in Galveston, but are there a few uh, standout properties, um, a few uh, historic properties that people should uh, consider staying at? Uh, any luxury developments or anything like that? I think there's a couple of different options for folks uh, when they're coming to Galveston, and it really depends on what kind of experience you want. Uh, when I first came to Galveston, um, and I came with my children, uh, Moody Gardens is the place I like to be because it's got the pyramids there. It's got... Uh um, the Goon Pool, Schlitterbahn, Water Park is right there. And so it's really a great family environment. You never have to get in the car again, um, and you can stay, and, and Moody Gardens feels like that. Now, if I was going to go with my husband, that would not be where I would go. I personally love the Hotel Galvez and their sister property, um, the Tremont. Both of them are under the Wyndham um, flag. They're historical hotels. Uh, the Galvez is 150 years old, and it's just a grand dam of a facility. It's just really amazing. Uh, and then there's some really funky, eclectic um, places um, that if I were on a budget and I wanted to be in uh, front of the seawall, uh, there's the Commodore and Guidos, which are uh, local uh, hotels. Uh, they sit literally on the beach and so much as you sit here on the beach in Galveston, you're across the seawall and then there's the beach. Um, but, you know, old Art Deco design kind of hotels that have been maintained some of that character and are in a great location and really reasonably priced. Fantastic. And it sounds like in Galveston, there are um, maybe like two or three different neighborhoods. Um, there's right by the cruise terminal. There's the beach. Are there any 
uh, distinctive elements of them that people should uh, consider. You know, if you want more of a bar scene, should you stay downtown or at the beach? Or if you want more of a, a fine dining scene? Yeah, so there's going to be rentals all over the island. And the West End, they call it the Galveston West End, uh, is where all these big vacation homes are out on the West End. And it is. It's very nice. The houses are great. They'll be big. They're built for as beach houses to house a lot of people and have big kitchens and common areas out there. And it's really nice. But it is probably 10 to 15 minutes from town, so to speak, which... If you live, come from a city, it doesn't sound like much. But once you're out here on the island, big wide space, 15 minutes. Um, uh, and so it's hard to come into town for dinner and entertainment opportunities. Um, there is probably one of the most privileged places on the island is the East End. The East End is one of the largest collections of Victorian homes in the United States. These are all homes that were being built during this boom of commerce that happened um, on the island before the 1900 storm. Um, they've been lovingly restored by um, folks out of Houston or by the Galveston Historical Foundation. Um, and there's lots of rentals up through there in the East End Historical District. And that puts you by the beach and by by um, downtown. And then in the downtown footprint itself, there'll be a lot of lofts. The, the, that is, sits right next to the historic port district as well. Um, and so if you're staying in the downtown historic district, you're by the port. Um, and there's a trolley that runs the 25th Street uh, and goes from one side of the island, which is downtown, um, down to the beach, um, and it's probably all told 10 blocks, um, and so easy to get around either on the trolley or on um, the segways or bicycles or even walking around. So lots of nice places to stay. Fantastic. And um, in terms of uh, eating in Galveston, uh, is there an iconic Galveston uh, delicacy? I know uh, I saw a bunch of uh, shaved ice stands and things like that, but is there a particular uh, dish that Galveston is famous for? And do you have a favorite place to get it that people shouldn't miss? Yeah, that's such a hard question. There's so many uh, good things. Uh, One of the things I noticed on everybody's uh, menu down here, and I've lived lots of different places. Um, this particular here is, uh, uh, what do they call that? Devil's Kiss. And it is a jumbo shrimp uh, put with cheese and a jalapeno through the spine of it and wrapped in bacon and grilled. They're absolutely heavenly. <laughs> and you can get those uh, devil's kisses, shrimp kisses at almost all of the restaurants here in Galveston. Uh, the other claim to fame that I see a lot of the local uh, places vying for are tacos, fish tacos, um, and some really wonderful fish tacos. And gosh, if I name one, I'd have to name five of them. Uh, one of my favorites is um, Seafood, Seafood Boulevard. They do all fresh foods, fresh coleslaw with their um, tacos, fabulous. There's a place down here that has taken the island by storm. There's a line that forms around the building, and you're not even allowed to sit in it. You, it's, you know, you pick it up and eat it outside, not because of COVID, because that's how they bounce. And it's called the Fish Taco Company, and people swear by it. Everybody swears um, by it. And then, um, you know, Guido's is the oldest seafood house on the island. And any trip to Galveston where you were going to eat and you didn't stop by Guido's, I would consider was, you know, 
not complete as of yet uh, your visit because you got to visit Guido's if you're going to come to Galveston Island and they have great food. Uh, one other little tidbit I'll give you on food, and it's not even seafood. It is there's a family here in town called uh, Macios, and they were part of what uh, had gambling here. On Island, part of these Italian immigrants that uh, come to uh, the United States, and some of them stayed here, and then some of them went on and founded Las Vegas, as a matter of fact. Part of that family owns uh, Nacio's Spice Shop down on Market Street on the outskirts of downtown, and they do a mufalata sandwich. I don't know if you know what a mufalata sandwich is. I did not know what a mufalata sandwich was until I came to Galveston, but it's an olive dressing type of uh, filling on amazing panini bread and oh my god fabulous sounds incredible and the name of that restaurant again was uh, Matthew's Spice Shop fantastic alright well then before we wrap up is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to uh, pitch again uh, the tourism board any restaurants any attractions anything uh, that we skipped over Mm-mm. I'm sure my team will tell me 15 things I forgot, but oh well. All right. This has been uh, incredible. Thank you again for being so generous with your time and for all of the incredible information about Galveston. I'm sure my listeners are going to uh, really enjoy this episode. Oh, you made lots of fun. I usually dread these things, but I had a great time. Thank you, Gideon. Thanks again to my guest, Kelly Deshawn of the Galveston Parks Board for her time and for being such a good sport. You've been listening to The Manifesto with Gideon, the frequent flyer on the Myelonomics Podcast Network. Goodbye and good luck.